Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he puts the card in cardio. It's Matt Morgan. Speaking of cardio, you should always watch out for the birds who are working on the bench press because they always have the strongest pecs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Matt, you should really tweet that one. I I would, but uh, I really don't want to show off my my chicks pack. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, abs, oh. that's an abs joke. Oh, a, a plus on that's that's you've really applied yourself this week, and I absolutely love it. All right, I am really flying away with these. The, yes, and you know what? To continue with the fitness jokes a little bit. Up next, just like me, he's really into deadlifting, and by that I do mean reanimator spells. It's Dana Roach. Um, my 2021 New Year's resolution was to read more, and I got off to a pretty good start until like around June. Then the subtitles got turned off on my TV, and I like couldn't get them back on, so I was not able to actually meet my resolution. Um, but I hope that I can that I make it in twenty twenty two. And in twenty twenty two, you mean twenty twenty three? I mean that too. That too. Okay, maybe. See, but, I thought it was going to be a joke about Strixhaven and having to read a novel every day oh, for sure. every card. That every they every, every card, I would have read more. That would have yeah, got me there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness gracious, you guys. This is a hoot. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, do you mind telling us what it is that we're talking about in this week's episode? We're going to talk about the uh, current trends in EDH, the 2022 data roundup. <laughs> yeah, sort of a, a final snapshot of the year where Commander is according to the data on EDH Rec and just like see what it's like as we're heading into 2023. Just get an idea of, you know, the most popular uh, guilds, the most popular colors in Magic. Take a look at some actual like numbers here. Maybe especially an interesting one will be some mana curve numbers that I think are especially interesting. Just get a, a an understanding of EDH as we head into a brand new year. But before we get into that juicy topic, we've got a couple of quick shout outs to do. 
Well, speaking of Mana Curves, first we'd like to thank Chase, a.k.a. Mana Curves, for helping us edit the show. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves. EDHREC is also streaming on Whatnot. You can follow our content manager, Jason Alt, as he does awesome stuff on those Whatnot streams, like giveaways and cool stuff like that. Follow EDHREC on social media to learn more. And if you want to sign up to be eligible for any of those awesome fun things, you can go to whatnot.com slash invite slash EDHREC. Well, speaking of most popular color pairs, you can like and subscribe this YouTube video. That's how it works, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't really, but it still helps us. It's still a great way to support the show for free, or you can subscribe on your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDHRECcast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, where they want to join the Discord community, you want to see all the episodes a day early, all of that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And as always, we're going to key in on a certain patron this week, and that is Alexander Gatke. So thank you, Alexander, for all of your support. We definitely appreciate it, and uh, we, we keyed in. Uh, th- there it is again on, on the name. Joey, Joey, take it away from me now. Go. I will take it away. <laughs> I will take it. Thank you so much. Let's get, in, let's get in the main show. I'm, I'm losing out. I'm losing steam. Okay, okay. I will, I, will, I will take it from you, Matt. I will take you as we're running out of steam. We will get right into the topic. We are doing that 2022 data roundup, sort of a, a snapshot, uh, wrapping up the year with an overview of the Commander format, comparing some recent stats against some previous stats. We've done some of these shows way in the past, looking at like these, these big, broad numbers about the format to see where things are at and we want to do that again here as we're moving into a brand new year yeah um so the first thing that kind of jumps i'm looking at these numbers is the total amount of decks in the database right now is closing in on two million (laughs) that's insane and unfathomable based on like looking at the numbers from five years ago there's one million eight hundred and sixty four thousand decks in the database that's (laughs) An insane amount of decks people have put online. Yeah, it turns out when you get 17 products per month with 18 <laughs> legends per, yeah, per mean, product, yeah, right. the, the sheer volume, I don't think we can undersell this, but the amount of just raw number of decks that we're seeing in the database these days from all the different websites we get decks from is almost overwhelming. And thankfully, we have a very, very good team that works in the background that they handle so much data, folks. It's a, a, a literal ton. And and make sure that it that the site doesn't break underneath all of that. Uh, yeah. Underneath all that bandwidth and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Um, I had a fun fact for you guys as well going into this episode. I, maybe it's just one for me. I don't know. But I think it's an interesting sort of balance about like, how many of the top commanders control the population of that of that data? I don't know. I find this a very interesting figure. The top 179 commanders control 50% of the deck population on EDHREC. There are roughly, this is a little bit hard to track exactly because of things like backgrounds or partners and partner with and things like that, but there are roughly 1,604 legal commanders in the format. So the top 179 legal commanders have just as many decks as the other 1,425 commanders. That is interesting to me. I think that that's kind of kind of wild. I mean, it turns out deck building economy mirrors real life economy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not really surprised necessarily. It's it's kind of a shocking number to see. But like when you're out there in the wild, you, the, those those most popular commanders do show up a lot. So I guess I, I am not really the, – the number is shocking, but I'm not really surprised by how popular those those most popular commanders actually are. 
To me, I'm heartened by that figure because it used to be a much smaller number. Like when we ran this, I think we had a similar episode and we did a similar figure about a year ago, and it was closer to like 100 rather than 179. And granted, we are getting 3,000 billion new legendary creatures every two months or whatever. But like the fact is that this is more even than I think it used to be, and that's good to see. There is more uh, legend diversity that is attracting attention. But yes, there is always going to be something way leaning at the top. Um, The most interesting figure that I think we can get into, though, would be of particular interest to our co-editor here on the EDHREC cast, Mana Curves, uh, because we want to talk about some Mana Curves. We've got some very interesting figures here. Dana, will you tell us what the average mana value is when you when you look at a deck? What, What is the current average mana value of decks these days? Yeah, the current average mana value is just over 3, 3.08. That's shockingly low compared to what it was the last time we checked two years ago when it was Mm. 3.33. That's a pretty significant dip. And I mean, there's a lot of cards that have to get changed out to lower a dex mana value that low. Yeah, this isn't just sweeping changes where you're dropping you know, one eight drop for a two drop. This is years and years of people are taking out Cultivate. They're putting in Nature's Lore. They're taking out Demonic Tutor and putting in Diabolic Tutor. I had that backwards. They're taking out four mana tutors and putting in two mana tutors, whichever the names of the... <laughs> right. The D-Tutor that was expensive is now the cheap one. But it's it's a little changes like that that just happen progressively over time where people tend, to, and rightly so because we're, we're humans, they tend to optimize their decks. They're lowering the mana curves. They're making it more efficient. And those are just those little bitty incremental upgrades that we see people making. And now we're able to kind of measure that and show, yes, people are actually are lowering, lowering the curve on their decks. Well, so Dana, you pointed out there that when we checked this figure two years ago, the average CMC in an average deck was 3.33. Before that, we had checked it also in 2018. And then, so that's four years ago, and four years ago, it was 3.51. So over the past four years, the average mana value of an EDH deck has gone from 3.51 to 3.08. So we've got a trajectory here of not exactly half a point, but over the past four years, kind of nearly half a point of going down here. And that is very, like, that's a woe. That is a woe figure for sure. Yeah, it, very, very significant drop. Um, and, you know, th- that kind of thing is always going to happen probably to a degree. Um, you know, the the new cool card comes out that's just slightly more efficient than the one you were running. Like, those are the kind of trade-offs you will make. They drop that, like you like you mentioned, they drop the the Cultivate for the, the three visits reprint or something when that becomes more available. And when you do that enough times, it does gradually lower your 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 curve. And, and as people start playing a little bit more competitively, then you have to keep up. So you have to lower other things as well, you know, both intentionally and unintentionally. Um, I'm not surprised the, the curves have dropped this much, but that, that's a pretty big drop over 40 years for sure. I mean, basically, it's the equivalent of every deck taking out like a Thran Dynamo or a Hedron Archive and putting in any of these two mana mana rocks or, or putting in multiple a, times. Yeah. yeah the, the, these, the three mana rocks that we always talk about how much we love the, the, the design space of. So take out a Thran dynamo and put in a cursed mirror and the, every deck that we see is roughly doing that. But it's also like take out a chromatic lantern, put in a liquid metal torque. It's also that level as yeah. well. It's like yeah. sky shroud mm-hmm. claim no longer, but nature's lore. Yes. Like it, it's a very, 
subtle shift over time. Like this is again over the course of four years, but that does speak to like, I don't know, I think we have each felt a different speed in the tempo of games that we play compared to four years ago. Um, and it's been difficult to say necessarily that that is always because of the exact mana values, like because of things like, you know, the arcane signets that come in and feel like they might force a, a, a swifter play pattern. That's been a very big discussion in the format for years at this point. But it also does sometimes feel like games get a little bit faster just because we have some ludicrously powerhouse commanders that if they stay on the field for more than one turn, they win the game outright. So like speed of the format is all types of wrapped up in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do think there's probably a cap on this, though. Um, I, you know, I, yes, technically the the end um, result of, of continuing to lower your curve is you're you know, basically playing CEDH, like that's, they have a super low curve in that format. And like, if you want to continue to optimize your decks, that's where they end up. Um, but I, I don't think that's how people actually tend to work. Some people will work that way and they'll, they'll, they'll start playing commander with a, you know, relatively casual battle crew style deck and they'll eventually move into playing like a competitive deck that has a super tight curve. But it's not really how most people do it. I look at like myself for an example. When I first started playing golf years ago, you know, I, I kind of got into it, found myself enjoying it. So I got a better set of golf clubs and I got a, you know, decent set of golf shoes. And I started, you know, going to the driving range once a week and hitting a bucket of balls. And, and my golf game got better. But that's also where I ended, right? Like I was going to the golf range once a week. I, I didn't buy a $10,000 set of golf clubs. I, I didn't start going to the range five days a week to, to make my game that much better. There, there's a cap, I think, on, on where most, People will push it. And I would bet that we will see this curve continue to inch downward, but I don't think we're going to see like four point drops like we're seeing uh, in the last several years. I, I think the, the, the rate of, of it arcing downward is going to slow, I would bet, when we, when we revisit this down the road. Yeah, there, there's definitely got to be a point of diminishing returns yeah. where eventually everything will level off. I, but we also said that last year. <laughs> we said that, I'm sure we said that a couple years ago where we kind of thought, originally, yeah, I, I I think that maybe curves are, are getting lower and the average CMC is getting low. So I don't know where that ends up being is, is my question. Uh, Watsi obviously has some, some uh, optimization things going on with their fire design and all that. So I, I he would have thought that, that we were going to hit that point. Um, but I don't think we have. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I'm confident that we are going to hit that, that point sooner than maybe uh you you feel matt i like i i would be astonished if the average mana value in index ever went down to like two like i that that would be egregious like that would take a long time i mean yeah i i thought so too but but then when you i mean when you look at a lot of the top played cards you've got kind of your, your demonic tutor your vampiric tutor but then all your your mana rocks so it, the more they print mana crypt and mana vault you get cards like that that, that people are going to start putting in more and more decks so I, it's all going to really, I, and I hate to say this, it's going to depend on reprints. How available are they going to make a lot of these very, very high power cards more available for folks to put them in decks? I think that's that's going to be the big onus is is where people are going to be able to, to lower their curve quite a bit. 
payoffs are getting more and more expensive, but people have no problems casting them. So I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Well, but also at the same time, like this is the format where I want to cast a Rise of the Dark Realms. Exactly. Like, this is the yeah. format where I want right. to like use your net to swing a bunch of nine drops into play. Like that is also still very much like end of the day. This doesn't strike me as an uh, like this strikes me as an interesting figure, not an alarming figure is what I'm trying to yeah. trying to say there, because this is still ultimately the format where we go to to play the big splashy ridiculous stuff that we don't get to do anywhere else. So there's an efficiency that we're definitely seeing on display with the mana curves trending downwards over the the past four years. And it's definitely a substantial figure, but you know, just one to keep an eye on, one to take note of, be interested about. And even Wizards of the Coast is devoting more of their time to making interesting three mana rocks, for example. And I imagine that three mana rocks are not the only way that they would combat against the uh, ideas of efficiency being the most important thing that they'd want to get the big and the splashy as much as possible too in a lot of other ways I'd expect. I think that's a, a big pillar of design these days. I think the next most logical thing to maybe look at here are the most popular color pairs. Because um, we've seen some shifts there a little bit as well. And looking at the most popular colors, start with just the monocolor decks. Um, black is the most popular color if you're building a monocolor deck. 75,000 decks in the database. Mono red is second, 71. Uh, then mono blue, 62. Mono green, 61,000. Mono white down at 49. And then colorless at just over 11,000 decks. Is there anything that really that's a surprise to, to any of you about those numbers? Surprise? No, mono black is the best. <laughs> yeah, that's not true, but... <laughs> I'm a little surprised to see red as high as it is, actually, to be honest. Um, red was a color that kind of that was, that was lacking in EDH for a long time, particularly in card draw. So and it's definitely gotten way better. We've talked about that. But still in the back of my brain, I still, I still imagine red is lagging. And to see the head of both green and blue was a little bit surprising to me. See, I, I'm not, actually. The, the, the surprise for me is to see green in fourth among the colors. Yeah. Like, that is the one that astonishes me more than anything. Red, good for it. I'm uh, Go off, queen. But green being in fourth, that's what gets me. Yeah, and mono red, mono red's gotten so many good, juicy toys lately. They've gotten some very cool new commanders. Uh, there's, there's a lot that they've been playing around with in the past year that I'm not surprised mono red is is kind of seeing a, a, a surge up towards the top of the charts. Uh, mono green, we I mean we love to joke that green can do whatever it wants, and so seeing mono green kind of sitting there in fourth, that's super surprising to me. Mono white, whatever, uh, <laughs> but, but mono green being in fourth place, that's that's not a surprise, or that is a surprise. I should say mono red is not a surprise. The, the green thing is a, is a surprise, but I think I have an explanation for it. Okay. Um, because I don't think the thing you, you do, but let's let's listen. <laughs> well, so in green, you you primarily are doing one thing: you're turning big creatures sideways and smashing people in the face. And I think that's just a thing that that lends itself well to having green paired with something else than mm. it is to just be doing it by itself in green. I think like the the thing that you want to do when you're playing green makes you want to add another color in in a way that maybe it doesn't necessarily work with blue. That you know you think of things like control or white, you think of things like white weenies. Um, and, and of course, white, well, white decks are, are, are the second most, second, or excuse me, the lowest of the, the five colors minus colorless. So I think the same thing is true there a little bit. I think those, those colors tend to be a little bit one dimensional in terms of like what the plan and win condition is. And as a result of that, people tend to pair them with something else. Yeah. Excitement of win conditions, I think says a lot about the excitement to build a deck and the ones near the top, black and red feel to me like they have the... <laughs> The most versatility in ways that they'd be able yes. to accomplish a win compared to like the, the excitement of, of green and white tend to be pretty straightforward win conditions mm. uh, or blue can take a little while. So that makes sense to me. But here's the real thing that gets me. It's actually the two color pairs. And this is where I'm going to 
like Adana's going to feel really happy about himself and Matt's going to be a little bit sad. So I, I, I've already prepared myself. Yes. Let's get into the two color pairs because this is the one that's wild for me. The most popular two color pair of all of the guild pairs is Demir at 99,000 decks that are Demir within the database. In second place is Golgari with 94. In third place is Simic with 79,000. Just beneath that is Izzet, also roughly 79,000. Rakdos is coming after that at 76, then Gruul with 69, and then all of the white inclusive pairs are in the bottom four, which really blows. Um, Orzov, 65. Azorius, 64. Boros, second to last place there, Boros, also with 64. And then Matt, Selesnia with 62,000 is in last place for all of the color pairs. So blue-black is the top and white-green is the bottom. Um, that really, Dana loves playing blue-black and Matt loves playing green-white. So um, I hope you guys get along. <laughs> all, all I can say is not everybody is the chosen one. You can't have that burden of playing <laughs> Selesnia. So a lot of people give up and that makes sense. And it, you can't just can't handle it. It's too sophisticated a taste. It's too, right. Yes, right. yes it's, it's an acquired taste of finer things i I, i'm I'm done here so yeah having all four of the white two color pairs in the bottom is just that that's kind of mind-blowing to think Mm. um granted we've always joked that boros and azorius were just they didn't have a whole lot of identity or they did and it was just very one-dimensional but to see them rise up and then seeing green white that's kind of surprising to me. Uh, but then when you look at the numbers that we saw for mono white being the, the least played monocolor, then you're kind of like, okay, well, nobody really likes white. But white just hasn't been able to keep up with what every other color has been doing the past couple of years. Well, the, the thing I will note about the Demir color pairs popularity that at least jumps out at me there is, you know, for a while I was trying to have one deck of, of all of the 10 color pairs. And I think Demir was the last one I put together because whenever I would sit down and look through the list of Demir commanders, I could never really figure out what I wanted to do. Mm. None of them jumped out at me as being particularly interesting. Like, okay, well, this one is bad. This one mills. This one is bad and it mills. Like, <laughs> those were what your options were, it felt like, for Demir. Um, but, that, but at some point in the last, I don't know, four-ish years or so, now if you look through the list of like possible Demir commanders, there's a ton of things there that are – you know, aggressively enough costed that do a, that do different things and like suggest interesting builds in a way that that wasn't really a thing five ish years ago. At least it didn't feel that way to me when I was trying to find a Demir commander that jumped out at me. So that's it's definitely a color pair where I, at least I feel like they've added a lot of interesting options in a way that didn't exist five years ago. And you can play all of your your three mana draw twos and your two mana draw twos, and that's just why Dana loves it. <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> exactly. A little bit of life, draw a few cards. It's all good. Yeah. Well, and I find it interesting to note. Like, so Golgari, I think when we did a similar episode to this two years ago, Golgari was the one in first place. So I'm sad to see it in second place, but I still respect it. Um, and Is it was also, I think, number two, um, and that has moved down to fourth place instead of uh, being in, in second place. And it, it's moved down a bit, and I think that's just because other stuff has surged up a bit more. And so that's it's nice to see that fluctuate. Situation. Uh, you know, Boros has been in second place for a very long time. I think every time we've run a figure like this, it's always been in second place. Azorius used to be in last place, but this year we did see more invention in Azorius, kind of literally invention. It got stuff like vehicles and things like that. So I think that it's probably 
you know, coming due in the next couple of years, we'll probably see a little bit of a Selesnya reinvention, and that might scramble this up. I mean, Rakdos used to be way near the bottom, too. Uh, uh, that is near the bottom also. Uh, and now it's like in, in fifth. It's got a very respectable Rakdos also has a ton of versatile stuff. Prosper and Karazakar and a bunch of like interesting things happen for Rakdos, too. Yeah, I, I, I think Prosper is doing a lot of the heavy lifting here, Joey. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Pro- Prosper does have 11,000 decks by itself. <laughs> yeah, oh um, Lord. And, and that alone is almost three times what the second place Angie Falconrath has. So that I think we found found the reason for why Rakdos is jumping up. Yeah, sometimes that's all it takes is just a little bit of reinvention. So this is, again, more of a status update than it is like a, oh, Selesnya is doomed. Like, no, Selesnya is probably just do something interesting in the future. We're not doomed. You're doomed. Doomed indeed, Matt. So doomed that we're going to have to move to challenge the stats now because that's just how doomed we are. Uh, there's so much data on EDH. That doesn't make any sense. It. The, the best segue of my life. Don't you dare question no, it. We not. are moving to- <laughs> Your segues are doomed. That's what's really My segues are doomed. But let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with some challenges. <laughs> I'm proud of that one. I don't oh care what you say. Oh my goodness. This week's listener challenge of stats was sent to us by a listener Space Marine. And the card is Cabal Paladin. It's three and a black for a human knight. It's a 4-2. It says whenever you cast a historic spell, Cabal Paladin deals two damage to each opponent. Um, and as a reminder, historic spells are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. Yeah, two damage to each opponent every time you cast that thing is a significant amount of damage. And being only in 1100 decks is not very much for a card that in their right deck could really consistently dome the entire table over and over and over again. Um, Spaceman mentioned, Space Marine, excuse me, mentions is Diata Binder of Will's deck. Um, just incidentally has 49 different historic spells in it, probably because it's running a lot of legendary creatures. And the last time he played it, it passively did 18 damage to the entire table. So that card alone almost shaved off basically half of his opponent's life totals. That's a significant amount of damage in a lot of decks, whether you're playing some kind of a black deck that's like saga-based or super friends-based or artifact-based or legendary creature-based. There's a lot of different themes that this would work very well in. And I agree, for something that, something that does that much damage should be in more than just a thousand decks. That's really innocuous, but very deadly. And that's like my perfect type of, of thing. Like that's one of my favorite types of things to be is just like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm absolutely way into that. Um, Dana, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do you one better here. Oh, excellent! Uh, all right, all right. I, I got I got to challenge the stats for a card that's in even fewer decks than that, and I'm doing this for you, my guy. I'm I'm doing this because I want to impress you. Thanks, man. Because I want to know whether you've heard of the card Musician. Do you know this one? The card is that Urza's, is that an Urza's block card? It is from Ice Age, and it is then no, I weird. do not. It's Musician, it, it, isn't it? The one it's got the weird Drew Tucker art. It's a blue card. Right? It is. It, yes, it is a blue card. It is definitely weird art. It is a illustration by uh, Drew Tucker there at the bottom of it. It is a three mana, one three. I got Dana. <laughs> we have both out Dana to Dana this week. There it is. Uh, there it is. A three mana, one three wizard with cumulative upkeep of one. So at the beginning of your upkeep, you'll put an age counter on this permanent, and then you have to sacrifice it unless you continue to pay for each of those age counters that get put on it. But it has a very funky tap ability. Tap, put a music counter on target creature. If it doesn't have, at the beginning of your upkeep, destroy this creature unless you pay one for each music counter on it, it gains that ability. So you can continually tap it and put music counters on things, but it also has a cumulative upkeep that you have to uh, continually 
pay. And, and that's kind of annoying, but I just think that it's very interesting to play this card in a Falco Spara Pact Weaver deck, which is that new Bont commander that cares about uh, taking counters off of your stuff so that you can play more spells off of the top of your library. If you remove stuff from your stuff, then you can play more free things off the top of your deck, which just sounds absolutely fantastic to me. And those counters that musician doles out can be really nasty, especially if you like proliferate them, which is what this deck definitely tends to do a lot of. Um, so Dana, I am going for a very obscure, extremely pesky little piece of nuisance removal that Falco Spara will just continually remove the cumulative upkeep counters from. And I hope that you like it. Enjoy the music. Well played, sir. I like it a lot. Good, good, good call. Nice. Only in 14 out of 2,500 Falco Spara decks. So I am trying to out Dana Dana this you, week. You did it. Well, I'm going to play the music and uh, play you off the stage so that I can give my next challenge <laughs> stats if that's okay with you, Joseph. Okay. So the card this week that I'm challenging, and if you watch us over at twitch.tv slash edhretcast, you saw this card do a whole lot of just ridiculous things when I played it in my Mishra deck. Um, so the card is Wondrous Crucible, which is seven mana for an artifact that says permanence. You control have ward two. And at the beginning of your end step, mill two cards, then exile a non-land card at random from your graveyard. You copy it and you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. This card is just silly. It does a whole lot of work. You're able to cast some very big things. And if you have a commander that can control what is in your graveyard, so you're able to narrow down and make sure that you always have some heater going on there. This is a fantastic card. Plus it protects all your permanents. It gives you ward or gives all your permanents ward too, which is going to be fairly handy. I mean, Dana, you have an Ardent Essior deck that if you play it early, ward two is just, it's just expert for half the game. So yeah, pretty fantastic card all around. I'm a big fan of it, but one deck that I don't see it getting played granted. It is a fairly new commander there's only 34 decks to it right now, is Mizzix Replica Rider, which is one of the new Jumpstart Commanders that just came out. So it's four and a red for a... It's for an is it Commander, really. But it's a four or five with flying that says, whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, you may pay one and hybrid is it color. So a red and a blue. If you do, copy that spell, and you may choose new targets for the copy. If the copy is a permanent spell, it gains haste, and at the beginning of your end step, sacrifice this permanent. So you're able to pay two mana effectively and copy whatever you want out of your graveyard. It is such a fantastic thing. And it is copy any spell. So you can get permanents, you can get non-permanent or non-land or non-permanent spells. Excuse me, that's how crazy it is. I, I'm tongue-tied over this combo right here. <laughs> so you're able to cast these big wombo spells for free and then pay two mana to copy them. So if you have extra turns that you're like wanting to do in that, if you have whatever this typical deck is doing, it's a lot of really big spells. And so what's better than casting them for free than paying not very much to repeatedly copy them? I'm a big fan of this synergy. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on in the deck, so it's probably a little hard to make room, which is why it's not showing up in very much at all. It's a tight list, but if you need something that's just gonna give you free cast triggers from somewhere that's not your hand, Wondrous Crucible is a fantastic place to start. Wondrous Crucible is just a good graveyard card. Yeah. <laughs> just like it mills for you. It gives you a free thing. Like this is how you Deathbridge chant, Deathbridge chant. Like <laughs> this is, yeah, this feels like a, a little bit of a fixed Deathbridge chant kind of situation. I, I would love this in like a Quintorius deck as well to remove stuff from my graveyard every turn. Mm -hmm. Or like Chainer, Red Black Chainer that also plays stuff out of your graveyard. This is 
Plus that ward. I mean, you can just cheat this into play in a lot of artifact decks and just protect yourself. This is a good card. Why have I not heard of this thing as much? Like, this is just a good card. I mean, it, it was in the Mishra Precon, and I don't know if a whole lot of folks are getting... So, Wonders Crucible is only in 1,200 decks total right now, which that alone seems kind of low, but... Also, I just don't know how many people have had a chance to get Brothers of War quite yet. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully the holidays are very kind to them and, and these pre-cons find themselves in some stockings because I absolutely love these pre-constructed decks. I think they're they're great design. So yeah, hopefully people get a chance to play with these cards. Yeah, that's a fun one. Like, don't let the seven mana fool you. Artifact decks know how to cheat that thing right into yes. play. Yeah, that's a really cool one. Okay, let's get back into um, some color breakdowns here. That's what we were talking about right before we left off. We had just talked about some two-color pairs, but... Um, Matt, how do you feel about three-color pairs? What's going on with them? Um, so I'm more fond of three-color pairs than Dana is, <laughs> since Dana hates three colors. Not wrong. Um, but when, this is true. <laughs> when, when you, but when you look at the top three-color pairs, you're going to see, which is kind of surprising to me, you're going to see Mardu at the top. Then moving down, you'll see Esper, Grixis, Sultai. And in fifth place, you see Naya. So a lot of just colors all over the place really there. Uh, and then the bottom half, you see Jund, Teemer, Bant, Jeskai, and at the very bottom in last place, you have the Abzan. So it's kind of telling. It's They're all fairly spread out. You can kind of see, kind of see a natural trickle down. But when you look at the top compared to the bottom, Mardu has 76,000 decks, almost 77,000, whereas Abzan has under 35,000. That is over twice as many decks are playing Mardu, and that's kind of wild to me. Edgar Markov. <laughs> True. But no, that, that's a much wider spread than we see from from between the Demir and Celestian decks, for example, over uh, under the color pairs. Absolutely. Where we're looking at about like a one-third difference. This is more than twice as much. I'm just astonished that Avzan is so near the bottom. But like, I mean, when you look at the most popular Mardu commanders, you've got your Ishins, you've got your Edgar Markovs, you've got your Kalias. And when you look at Avzan, you've got Miracle, who's repping like 4,000 decks or something like that. And that's the top Avzan commander. So yeah, Mardu's really pulling a lot of commanders that have 11,000 or 9,000 decks of their name. And Avzan doesn't even have <laughs> half that for its most popular uh, commander right now. So I think that's probably another color combination that is do for a little bit of a renaissance. I think also part of that is w when you look at these three color decks, a lot of the 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 partner pairs in, in the colors that can go in to make up Mardu, and, and not even the partner pairs, even some of the the one color partner commanders are re are relatively popular, whereas the the, the Abzan ones are less so. You, you, the the, mm -hmm. the more the least popular commanders for for those colors tend to be in the Abzan colors, whereas Mardu you're looking at stuff that does see quite a bit of play. So people are mixing and matching. I think commanders that are very popular in the Mardu colors, the way they maybe aren't in Abzan. Yeah, the the, the number one Abzan commander would be the number eight most popular Mardu commander just by number of decks alone. Yeah. Uh, that kind of tells you just how powerful the Mardu color combination is. But also, I can't kind of can't really think of the last time we've got a kind of a compelling Abzan colored commander. They've played around a little bit. Uh, Miracle Lord of Bones was kind of cool, I guess, but that's also the most popular commander in this co combination. The rest are kind of old staple commanders that just mm. have been around for forever, but kind of people have moved on. You have Gave Guru Spores, you have Carador Ghost Chieftain, and none of those, people don't really get excited about those anymore, whereas you have sure. a bunch of fairly recent commanders near the top of the Mardu list. 
Yeah, very much. And I guess as we move to an observation of four color and five color, I kind of want to actually expand even further out for you guys and, and do a color breakdown of the whole format here. Like how many decks, like what percentage of the format is four color, five color decks? How many decks in the format are colorless? How many decks in the format are monocolor or two color? So let's, let's move to that now as we're expanding even further out. So colorless decks make up less than 1% of the format, like 11,000, like you said earlier, Matt. Um, but mono color decks make up 17% of the format, which I think is especially fascinating. Here, though, is what really gets me. Two color decks make up 40% of the format. Good for two color decks, because a couple of years ago, it was some closer to like 32%, and now it's up to 40%. Like two color decks are in the lead. Three color decks make up 31% of the format. That has actually moved down compared to the past two years. It was closer to 35 a while ago, and now it's at 31. And then four color decks are less than 4% of the format, and five color decks are about 7% of the format. There's 129,000 five color decks in the format. Four color decks, we obviously haven't seen too much innovation since Commander 2016. We do have the four color Omnath, good for it. There's certainly partner combinations, but there hasn't been a lot of evolution in that. Whereas five color decks, I mean, the Ur-Dragon, Kenrith, Goshintai, there's tons of interesting stuff going on there. So five color decks are always going to stay in a really nice popular thing all to themselves. But I, you know, in expanding, looking far out, looking at all of those things, I'm just astonished. Good for two color decks, making up 40% of the format. Good for them. Uh, one thing I think that might be relative there to relevant there too as well is if you want to play with some of the new backgrounds, you're stuck playing two colors or, or I guess monocolor technically. Hmm. There's no way to do that in three colors. And I wonder if that isn't something that this year made a bit of a difference. People wanting to brew those background commanders and you really weren't given a choice to do that with three colors. Maybe. I'm just surprised because, I mean, New Capenna just happened and that was a three color focused set. True. <laughs> like yeah. Well, and, and in the when we first checked these stats, it was right before Ikoria came out too, which was a three-colored theme set. And then we just had New Capenna, which was another three-colored theme set. And so seeing that three-colored decks are occupying 4% less of the format is kind of shocking, honestly. like it, I'm, I'm very, very surprised at that because we've had so much support and push for it. We had the Triomes and all that stuff. So the, to see that two-colored decks are moving up, I'm I'm a little shocked by that. That's a good point. Like what what you just I want to uh clarify what you mentioned there when we first checked these stats. That was 2 years ago when three color decks were about 35% of the format. That was right before Ikoria. So mm -hmm. in the time after Ikoria and New Capenna, it has still gone down despite having two three color focus sets across uh, across the past 2 years. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. That's a really good thing to point out. And and maybe the 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 antipode to talking about how two color decks were something you were kind of forced to build if you wanted to build with backgrounds. The opposite of that is that there really wasn't anything new added if you wanted to build four colors. Yeah. So like you you were digging back into Magic's past if you wanted to build a four color deck, and that's probably shouldn't be surprising that that's not the most attractive thing to people. So the amount of four color decks dropped, and I, I that that is kind of expected given that. This is the thing that I definitely like to see. I think that it you know really overpowered three color commanders is a thing that we've like kind of been a little tainted by over the past sure. couple of years. So to see two color get more focus, and especially if monocolor can get even more focus as well, I would love more reasons to play monocolor decks. So those are things that I hope that, like it, it goes to show some efforts that Wizards of the Coast are paying off here, I think, like to make interesting, compelling two color decks that are more exciting than some generically powerful three color commanders out there. And I also just, I like building with fewer colors because I like that restriction a whole lot. Like not just playing all of the best stuff in these colors, having stuff that like I feel limited in what I can play 
play. That That is just where, where my heart's at here. So I'm happy to see these figures be where they are. Um, but I don't know. That's just me. And, and Dana, I also happen to know, feels the same way. Matt, I'm not sure how you feel about that. Maybe you love five-color stuff even more. If if the commander compels me, then I'm going to build it. Like, I've built two-color. I build three-color. Like, it doesn't really matter a whole lot to me. I, I have found myself building more two-color commanders. But also, that's because I think Wizards of the Coast is giving us more two-color options. It's kind of hard to support three-color commanders, A, at a standard set, which is where a lot of stuff comes in. But True. in the commander products, even... When they throw a three-color deck together, sometimes they don't have the most support. It's not the most interesting. They're kind of doing it just to get as many cards out there as possible. So it it doesn't really matter to me. I care more about the commander, more about the strategy that I'm trying to build around than I do the amount of colors. If it's a three, four color, whatever. If it's monocolor, then cool. Then they finally made a monocolor commander. That's interesting to me. Maybe that's the actual secret here. It's just a density issue because Mm -hmm. in every standard set, we have so many two-color legends that are the signpost uncommons for what that draft environment is supposed to look like for that two-color pair. So maybe it is just like an an accidental by dint of the way that standard sets are being designed now, um, just with so many uncommon commanders that happen to be legendary. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to note. I appreciate you bringing that forward because I didn't think about that until now. Look at you being wise. I I try to be insightful every now and then. So why don't we uh, cite or set our sights on i'm trying to force a segue here set our sights on the number of legends there we go i hate i I segued there we go it is it that is actually a good segue because we just mentioned look how many legends there are in every set and well how is that affecting the number of legendary cards that appear in the 99 on average these days this is another very interesting figure for us to take a look at it's a little bit like the mana curves thing that we saw this has been a big jump when we compare the current two-year chunk that EDHREC is measuring data of compared to the last two-year chunk before then that we were measuring data of, the number of legends in a deck has absolutely gone up. It used to be nearly six legends in a deck, and now it is nearly nine legendary cards in a deck. Like, that's a jump over the over like that two-year chunk. That's that's a big difference. Going from a almost six to an almost nine number of legendary cards in a deck. I, I don't know, Dana, you have a legendary deck. What do you make of this? <laughs> like, I mean, in, in not even a legendary deck, just like e- even in non-legendary decks, it has definitely, uh, I've noticed, affected some of the things I've done. I, I'm less likely to run clone style effects now because I'm going to have less valid targets that I can use to copy things on, on my side of the board. Whereas something like a, a card I've, I've gotten very fond of because of the increase in legendary creatures is Manamo School at Water's Edge that I can use to untap legendary things I control. It's like that card's gotten significantly better. Sure. So it's it's definitely something that's impacted all of my decks at least a little bit. Matt, what do you think? I mean, everybody was like, Relic of Legends, I don't know about that card. No, it is factually hard statistics <laughs> good and getting better for your decks. I mean, the, the amount of Legends has risen 50%. So it, if at this rate... I mean, granted, we'll have like 99 cards that are all legendary, but <laughs> Relic of Legends is it's a totally valid card to be running in the typical deck. Because if you have nine or 10 legendary creatures in there, that's just plus your commander. You have access to your commander at all times, people. Relic of Legends is like it's just a great quality three mana mana rock. And it's all these incidental kind of tweaks and increases that you're going to see cards like Relic of Legends popping up in more and more decks as a result of more Legends in the 99. Very fair. Very, yeah, this does affect, like, this is a figure that I think does have an active change on the way that we build our decks. And I think it also, this is this is where I enter the the, the dangerous 
maybe tinfoil hat ish kind of kind of part of the podcast. But like, I think it also has a potentially dangerous effect on the way that Wizards of the Coast designs cards. For example, on this show, I have lauded the card uh, Arenicus's Vile Duplication, which makes a token of one of your creatures, except the token has flying and the token is not legendary. That card is so good. That card is basically another spark double, only it's uncommon. It it gives you a token. It's flying. Like that is such a good card. I also don't want Wizards to make more of these effects. Right. Wizards has gotten a little bit more free with making, oh, but the tokens aren't legendary. Where like Helm of the Host used to be one of the only ways to do this, and it was a lot of mana to make that happen. And now non-legendary copies are becoming more and more of a thing. And I get why that's a thing that Wizards wants to do, because especially when you're, you know, playing with a new player who wants to clone a legend and they find out, oh, wait, when I cast this stuff and my reflections of Yara automatically kills the copy because this random zombie that I cast happened to be legendary, that's not a good feeling. So I get why they're making more cards that would like want to reduce that bad feeling. I just don't think it's a good idea for us to have so many copies of legendary stuff. Like that is an accidental byproduct of them making so many legendary things is making stuff that can clone legendary things. And I think that's dangerous. I think it's really dangerous. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. That that was the first thing I I thought of, Joey. Well, I, I knew where you were going when you mentioned Renekus's Vile Duplication. It's a fantastic card, and I love it, and I hope we never see it again. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I don't mind having a glut of some of these, uh, I'm going to call them opportunities, mm-hmm. to have just cool design space. But too much of one thing isn't re- too much of a good thing, I should say, doesn't always mean it stays good. I mean, we look at Treasure, we look at Goad. So, yes, there's some cool stuff going on, but I just hope that they keep it tempered a little bit. That's my concern is if they get carried away with it. And, and that's, I think we've seen Miram Sentinel Worm this year, which is the teamer dragon commander that whenever another non-token dragon enters the battlefield under your control, you make a token copy of it, except the token isn't legendary if that dragon is legendary. Like, that's another place where I think we did see it maybe go a little bit too far. Or maybe the thing that went too far with this card is that it also has Ward 2. I've, I've <laughs> yeah. seen Wizards put Ward 2 on a lot of things just incidentally. Like Gearson Starn is another commander. The, the ping that like amplifies your stuff if you've dealt exactly one damage instead it deals additional damage or something like that. And it also has an incidental Ward 2. And I feel like that's the next thing that will be a little bit proliferated. Like not outright hexproof, but a little bit of extra Ward here and there. And I'm like, I think that might actually still be kind of like, ah, for, for some players though. Just a little bit of Ward for a treat. And just a little bit of Ward <laughs> for a treat. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Right. Well played. Well, there, there's that. You know what, Dana? I think that that probably puts a better button on on that idea, that topic of conversation than I ever could. So, all right, well done. Um, Matt, I want to throw this final question to you. Like, how do you feel about the format going into 2023? Like, how do you feel about this snapshot now that we've zoomed out and seen all of this data? Um, I, I kind of like what we talked about recently when we talked about kind of our, our 2022 as a wrap-up. I, I'm curious to see what kind of trends continue and what is just kind of a flash in the pan. Do we see mm. more players shifting towards two colors just because we have the glut of options with the legends there? Are curves going to keep going down a little bit? Is there going to be just cons- like nonstop efficiency upgrades for decks? So it, seeing what trends continue and what trends start to reverse, and that's going to be my my big, big point of interest for me personally. Uh I'm sad that Selesnia is seems, you know, like I said, not everybody's cut out to play Selesnia and, and, and <laughs> the numbers are proving that. So um, hopefully we get some more in, interesting commander design for these low ranking color combinations. Like I said, I, mean, I can't remember the last time we saw an Abzan commander that was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, so hopefully we get some love for these these color combinations that are kind of 
lagging behind a little bit. Okay, that's a, a good a good mission statement for the upcoming years. I'm I'm right there with you. They are due a renaissance. Dana, what about you? How do you feel about the snapshot of of EDH at the end of 2022? I think the format is pretty healthy, and I think the numbers kind of bear that out. I think we're 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 you know talking about this, the the average amount of value of decks dropping. I think that's kind of a natural thing, and, and I if that continues to drop at the rate it's dropping, I might be concerned, but I'm going to bet it doesn't when we look back at this in in two years, say. Um, and you know we're seeing shifts in the the color pairs and stuff people play what's the most popular what's what's less popular i think that's pretty healthy too i think it would be a bad thing if that stuff stayed stagnant i think seeing mm. seeing motion based on what you know colors are getting interesting new cards printed what what pairs are getting interesting new things mechanics like like backgrounds printed i think it, the numbers all make me feel pretty glad for the format. I mean, we we still have a few nagging concerns that we talked about or things like just the sheer amount of sets to deal with. But I, I think overall, I'm pretty happy with the state of the game. I I agree with you on the stagnation point, but a piece of me wonders, are you just saying this because Demir was in first place and Selesnya was in last place so that you can I, float over I that? I think everything is finally lining up the way it should. I think it's what that <laughs> means. Everything has course corrected Nature is healing. I, now I know that you're <laughs> truly not trustworthy, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll oh, find a new man. host eventually. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, on that bombshell, listeners, we would love to know what you think about this data overview and the trends uh, for EDH here at the end of 2022. But, fellas, let's call this episode to a close. And if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecast every Wednesday evening. So make sure you tune in for that fun as well. And Dana? You can find me on Twitterbird at Dana Roach. You can find me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me on the socials at Joseph M. Schultz. And you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Manicurves. Listeners, we are going to take a brief break for the holidays, so there won't be an episode next week, but we will see you again in the new year. We say this at the end of every year, so please remember that black lives still matter, black trans lives still matter, and hey, go play some magical games with some magical people. We'll be back at you next year with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.